This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now in the United States, earlier this week, the government was warned by the Congressional Budget Office, which is a non-partisan government agency, that unless something changed, the U.S. would reach its debt ceiling, which is $31 trillion or thereabouts, between July and September of this year, and they would lose the ability to borrow. Janet Yellen, who's the Treasury Secretary, told Congress in January that her department had begun taking extraordinary measures. Now, the consequences of the U.S. effectively losing the ability to use its credit card is very, very serious indeed. And to discuss this, we're joined now by Chris Johns. Chris, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, now a respected commentator. And we also hope to talk to Chris, and we'll begin maybe, Chris, with the developments on the Northern Ireland Protocol. Rishi Sunak is in Belfast today, meeting the parties there, and tomorrow he's going to meet Ursula von der Leyen and Macron and Schultz, the leaders of France and Germany, respectively. There appears to be a feeling that relations with Europe cannot be permanently in the freezer because of Northern Ireland and There was a meeting, Chris, wasn't there, last weekend attended by Michael Gove, who was a very prominent lever and led that campaign alongside Boris Johnson. Has Britain woken up to the fact that leaving Europe in the way that they did, that is with a hard Brexit, has been bad for the economy and bad for Britain? Some of us have woken up to that, Eamon, but not all of us. If you look at the polls you will see that uh, the number of people who think leaving the European Union was a bad idea has gradually increased to the high 50s, low 60% now. And there is a small minority of people who think that rejoining the EU would be a good idea, but for all sorts of reasons, which we could discuss if you like, but I suspect most people know them, there's no chance of that happening anytime soon. 
not least, I think it's probably worth mentioning one reason, which is that although people like Michel Barnier have recently made warm noises about the prospect of Britain joining the EU, um, it, the European Union itself deeply, deeply distrusts Britain. And it knows that notwithstanding these efforts by Sunak and co to get closer to mend the relationship with the European Union, they know who and what is lurking in the background. And they obviously yeah. have the recent history to go by. And they look at Twitter. <laughs> they look at speeches made by politicians um, on the more extreme fringes of the Tory party, frankly, um, in the mainstream of the Tory party. And because today you, you have members of the ERG coming out with that age-old refrain that we all thought was dead and buried, we all hoped it was, which is that no deal is better than a bad deal, appealing yes. to Sumac not to do this deal with the European Union. So they are trying to cause trouble. The ERG is trying to cause trouble already. So yes, there is a lot of uh, regret. There is a lot of feeling that this was a terrible idea. But there are sufficient numbers of people like the ERG with those kinds of sentiments around to make sure that nothing major is going to happen for quite some time. What we, what we expect at best is something by stealth. And the Ditchley Park thing that you mentioned uh, in your intro, attended yes. by Michael Gove and others, was part of this. It was supposed to be a secret meeting, but it was splashed all over the front pages of The Observer last Sunday. And I think that this is what Keir Starmer intends. This is what Rishi Sunak, arch-Brexiteer himself, uh, intends, which is to gradually get closer to the European Union, but nowhere near rejoining it. Yes, and for Sunak, it really is a test of whether he's in control of his party and can lead it, as opposed to being hamstrung by this European Research Group, which numbers around 150, I think, but they are very, very central and were to the idea of a hard Brexit. Boris was their man. Boris delivered this hard Brexit. They won an 80-seat majority. Now they're paying the price. And Ireland is also paying the price, as I know you know, Chris. And what's holding things up at the moment now is the arrangements for a future where Ireland, both sides of it, can live peacefully. But the DUP insists that the arrangements agreed, and they appear to have been agreed by Europe and Britain, is an infringement of their constitutional rights to be as British as can be, and crucially, that they don't have to abide by rules set out or laws sanctioned by the European Court of Justice. And if they're to remain in the single market and have the best of both worlds, at some point, the European Court of Justice would have them in their spotlight. Yeah, the DUP has seven tests. It's published them about whether or not yes. it's going to accept this deal. The role of the ECJ within these tests is somewhat ambiguous. Um, they do have some wiggle room should they choose to avail of it. The outlines of the deal that Sunak is now trying to sell to them as we speak is, has been clear for a few days now. And it involves red and green channels in Northern Ireland. The lorries going through the Republic will be checked. And the lorries going from GB to Northern Ireland won't be checked. And there will be, there will be uh, technology solutions so that the data on these lorries will be uh, sent to the EU in real time. 
and that if there is any dispute arising from this, there will be mechanisms. We don't know the details yet, but there will be mechanisms to deal with them locally, to be de to deal with them between Britain and uh, the EU. But ultimately, and the hope I think will be expressed that it will never come to this. It will end up at the ECJ, but only with a lot of very intermediate steps that will take care of 99% of any disputes that might arise, hopefully not, not that many disputes. The role of the ERG is critical, and there's one man I think that we should be looking at very closely today, tomorrow, and through next week, and that's Steve Baker. Yes. Because he's in the government now. He's a Northern Ireland minister, a junior minister, but his, his reaction to this, I think, will be very important because I think it's quite clear from what the ERG have said today that members of that group are going to say no. We don't know what Boris Johnson is going to do. He, his big, big presence is lurking in the shadows here. And will he say something about this deal? That will be a, a big question that I think that we right. all need to pay very close attention to. But as you say, this is a test of Sunak, perhaps the test of Sunak, because he is going to yeah. have to stand up to at least some members of the ERG. It could well be that if Baker keeps Sturm or indeed expresses approval of this, that we can then write off the ERG as being split, important but less important than they were. So that's why I mentioned that man. If Johnson pipes up, Johnson and or Truss, any ex-prime minister, we have quite a few in the UK these days, <laughs> um, comes out with something, then um, Sunak will have to stand up to him or her. Uh, so that I think is part of this test. And I think this could prove to be the test of Sunak's premiership. Has he got a backbone? Has he got the political capital to stand yes. up to this and fight his corner? Because up until now, he's shown absolutely no inclination towards this whatsoever. He's shown only a willingness to try and accommodate everybody, to square every circle, and to really stand for nothing other than, than quiet managerial competence, for which we're all grateful in the UK at the moment, given the chaos of the last six years. But in, in order to make any progress, I think Sunak has to, be, has to stand up and be counted now. Otherwise, I suspect his premiership will be judged a complete failure. Yep, he could well be finished. So I think you're absolutely right to identify Johnson as the key figure. If he speaks in the next two to three days, or if he lobbies people behind the scenes, but he's more likely to go public. And of course, there's a long-standing grudge that they hold for each other because Sunak was the person whose resignation as Chancellor triggered Johnson's departure as well. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Could I take you on to what for the world is a much bigger problem, Chris? And that is the possibility that the United States of America will reach its debt ceiling somewhere between June, July, September, if the spending continues at its current rate. Janet Yellen is a widely respected Treasury Secretary, and she has expressed fears about this. We're told that this, of course, has dramatic consequences for the Biden administration and for the United States. But others say it has dramatic implications for the the rest of the world as well. Yeah, it's a peculiar thing, this debt ceiling. Of all the major countries, it's only really the United States that has this rather strange law that sets an absolute dollar limit on the amount of debt that the federal government can hold. Um, it's something that's been around for, for decades. This ceiling uh, hasn't really been a ceiling because it's been amended 78 times since 1960. At the wow. moment, the, the last time that they did set the new ceiling, this movable feast, it's at $31.4 trillion. That's uh, 12 zeros after the 31.4. It's a lot of money. Um, yeah. but And there have been several showdowns, several run-ins between Congress and the White House, particularly when uh, the Republicans are in Congress and the Democrats are in the White House. And they do, the Republicans do it for a number of reasons. One is just pure party pre-partisan politics. They just like making mischief politics for a Democratic president. And um, that, that's something that they have done an awful lot. There is also a cabal within the Republican Party that genuinely believe that debt is a terrible, immoral thing. And they, they yeah. tend to, to be, they, they, it's the, the equivalent of, uh, I suppose, the American, the British ERG group. They've got a similar bunch of ideological fruitcakes. Because from an economic perspective, there isn't an, anything to back their belief that debt is a terrible and immoral thing. Um, it, it, it all depends, is, is always the answer in these particular cases. So in financial markets, we've gotten used to this chaos every now and again in the States, this this. Um, deadline that we run up to that we sometimes have gone past. Sometimes it has resulted in a shutdown of the US government because they've not been able yes. to pay their bills. And it happened it, during Clinton's time, didn't it? It did. It did. And um, about 10 or 12 years ago, there, uh, there was another episode in which the 
credit rating of the United States was downgraded by credit rating agencies, which is a very serious matter because that, that's an assessment made by agencies of, of a country, or, and they also do companies as well. In this particular case, the country is the United States, um, the biggest uh, of, of them all. And um, it's, it's, it, the assessment of its ability to service and repay its debts was downgraded a notch, which given how important U.S. debt markets are to absolutely every financial market in the world, every asset market in the world, it's important for your house prices there in Ireland. I mean, it's important for everybody's house. It's important for everything. The connections run deep and wide. So at one level, we say, oh, gosh, we've been here before so many times. There'll be all sorts of noise, all sorts of smoke and mirrors, all sorts of fireworks coming out of Washington, but they'll get there in the end, just as they have 78 times previously. There is a school of thought that says that this little cabal now that really, really hates debt for these strange moralistic reasons, combined with that desire to cause Joe Biden grief, are willing to actually not just go to the wire, but past it and plunge the US into default. Now, there are all sorts of possibilities that would result from that. We don't know what that would look like because it's never happened before. Um, the world's primary creditor, uh, primary debtor um, going into default is, is something that we have no precedent for, uh, but we have guesses. On the one hand, I suppose you could be optimistic about it and say that the markets would look through it and say, look, we know that this is all fluff. We know that the US is more than capable of servicing and repaying its debts. That's what its economy stands for. And we don't have any doubts about the ultimate ability of the US to pay its debts. This is just uh, Washington nonsense. That would be the most benign outcome. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that this would be um, the thing I would worry about is it would be a financial catastrophe. And um, that's because so many other financial instruments have the US bond market at, 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 as a kind of a benchmark written into contracts, written into rules, written into regulations, that there won't be much wiggle room, that once the US has defaulted, it'll trigger chain reactions. We can imagine some of them. I worry about the unimaginable consequences, the ones that we don't know about, the things that are hidden underneath the surface here. And so I don't think it will be a benign outcome. I think it would be terrible, and I think it would have consequences for all of us. Um, but I am worried that some of, some of these nutters are prepared to do this. Yes. Well, we know that there is a, a kind of an extreme hard right fringe that is actually the difference between the Republicans holding the House of Representatives as they do and not holding it. There's about five people who are what, Conventionally, you might call weirdos, but they are entitled to their politics in a free society. It only takes one of them, incidentally, as I know you know, Chris, to dissent for Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, to have to put himself up for re-election so they can take him down with one vote. The point is, as you said, there are people who have a problem with the kind of debt and I checked earlier, when Obama came into office, it was just before the international meltdown in 2008, America's debt was $10 trillion. It is now $31.4 trillion, as you've just pointed out. That is, in any circumstances, a massive jump. But can you give us an idea of how but one thing we know, it would 
stymied the ability to support Ukraine in its war with Russia in a big way, wouldn't it? Because the U.S. is bankrolling a large part of that. Yeah. Well, the U.S. has a lot of revenues as well as a lot of expenses. And because the expenses are bigger than their revenues, this is the, 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 where the rubber hits the road. They would not be able to finance that excess. So what would have to happen is that they would have to prioritize where they spend their tax revenues, the money that they actually will have. And the money that they won't have will be money that they traditionally would borrow. So they could choose to prioritize Ukraine, and they could choose to prioritize the bond market. Um, The problem with prioritizing where you spend your money relative to the obligations that you face is that the people that don't get paid, whoever they are, be they firemen or bondholders, they're going to sue you. There's, there's, you know, the, the most litigious country in the world will just be tied up with with litigation, with the people that lose out from any choices, very awful choices that Joe Biden will be faced. It, it is absolutely ludicrous. And the legal thing is important because there, there, there is a school of thought that says the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which says that the, the validity of U.S. debt shall not be questioned, renders all of this moot anyway, in, in that what... In, um, if you introduce constitutional matters in this way, uh, this could all end up in the Supreme Court and take months to resolve. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it, it's an absolute mess. It's, it's absurd. The idea that you would do this in a modern country is just nuts. Australia used to do it, but they don't do it anymore because they realized it was crazy. And the only other country I can think of that does do it is Denmark. and It doesn't cause any trouble there, which is why they still have it. So it's, it's an absurd way to run a business, to run a country. Um, but this is where we are. And um, it's 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 is it a dangerous place for those of us far away across the ocean? I'm thinking of Ireland and, of course, of the UK as well. Janet Yellen said that if if it goes <laughs> pear shaped, it could trigger a global financial crisis, and that's something that we do know what what it looks like. And I think that warning is well made. I think she could be right. I hope she isn't. As I say, I hope the outcome would be relative, surprisingly, relatively benign. But a global financial crisis, we know what that looks like and we know the consequences of that. It's lost jobs, lost incomes. It's uh, failed businesses, failed banks. Um, people who are owed money by the US government could go bust. That could be your pension fund, Damon. Um, yes, it, it, it could be all sorts of different organizations that in the limit in the extreme in extremists is what could happen. So I, absolutely, it's going to affect us here in the UK and there in Ireland. Now, since he's been in office, Joe Biden has spent a lot of money, a lot of it arguably on worthy causes and a lot of it on badly needed infrastructure upgrades, if you like. But he spent one trillion on green measures. One trillion is a lot, isn't it, Chris? Oh, it's massive. And and this is, this is not, nobody in, on this side of the pond anyway is making anywhere near enough noise about what Biden, A, has achieved generally since he took office in terms of the millions of jobs, the increase in the size of the economy. Uh, he yeah. really deserves an awful lot of credit for getting an awful lot of things right, economically speaking. And yes. um, it's a bit of a mystery to me as to why he doesn't get more credit Perhaps the, the, the ultimate uh, test of this will be in uh, under two years' time now, when uh, the, the hope now is that he actually that the, the race is between him and Trump, because the fear of the Republican Party is that Biden actually will trounce Trump. That appears to be the, the mood music that I get coming out of Washington. 
But the green energy bill, the, the, <laughs> there was this act passed last year by Joe Biden. This shows you just how clever a politician he is and how steeped in the ways of Washington. He called it right. the, inflation, the Inflation Reduction Act. It couldn't have been more badly badly named. <laughs> yeah, yes. Go on. It I had, know what's coming next. It had very little to do with inflation. It, it, of course, in the, in the United States, it's called the IRA, but let's not go there. Um, and uh, it was all about the green transition. And it was all about a couple of things. It was about making sure that America starts the green transition and not just start it, but accelerates it massively. So, so environmental watchers, um, proper analysts are now saying that the chances of the US getting to net zero, getting to meet its targets, getting to meet the commitments that it's made, have been massively increased. And it may even get there early. The second thing he wanted to do was make sure to combine it with his, um, for example, his policy on technology not going to China anymore. US doesn't export yes. um, semiconductor technology and other technologies to China. He wanted to make sure that China doesn't steal a march on the United States, which it has been doing in the area particularly of wind and solar, but also in terms of electrical vehicles and batteries and all those sorts of things. He wants to make sure that you know, if, if, if it's, it, it isn't China and it is the United States where all that stuff happens, and that's resulted in giving an awful lot of subsidies to American industry to do all of this stuff, yes. which has greatly upset the European Union, and it's greatly upset Brussels, and they've cried foul and say, please don't do this. And Joe Biden has just laughed at them and told them to go away. And interestingly, the European Union has responded actually uh, quite thoughtfully, <laughs> unusually thoughtfully, by saying, okay, if you can't beat them, join them. And I think it's about to do something similar itself with respect to gearing up its own green agenda that it would uh, it is on the verge of introducing all sorts of subsidies and incentives for companies not to go to the united states and for at least and and to expand yeah, here in europe so um it's a massive deal um it was almost hidden within this inflation reduction act um it will make a huge difference to to the green agenda um and i think he deserves an enormous amount of credit for it that he's not getting um, but it, 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 it has a huge impact for us here in Europe, absolutely. Posterity will be kind to him. My knowledge of economics is, is very limited, Chris. Could this be described as Keynesianism on steroids? Of a kind, Eamon, of a kind. Um, it, it, you might explain to our listeners who don't know what Keynesianism is. Keynesianism is, is all about trying to manage the economy via fiscal policy, by your spending and taxation policy. It died a death in the 1970s, and we went through an era where the economy was steered by central banks, which is why we obsess about interest rates. Did he save America after the Great Depression, or, or am I... Or did he cause the Great Depression? Economic, economic historians row about this all the time. A lot of people think it was Keynes and the policies that governments pursued as a result of a book that Keynes wrote in 1936. Other people say, yeah, he had something to do with it. It was more to do with the spending that took place during the Second World War. But he and somebody called Harry White in the United States was responsible for setting up things like the IMF and the World Bank just after the Second World War. So he was a big figure in um, UK and European finance and economics, and he was uh, instrumental in establishing the post-Second World War global financial order. Yeah, the opposite to th Thatcherism, which was founded on another economic belief, really, wasn't it? Well, that uh, crude Thatcherism in its original form was crude monetarism, which was that the only thing that a government should do is control the money supply. And Keynes believed that there were lots of things that government should do, 
including uh, using fiscal and monetary policy in times of depression. Um, to, to be fair to, to crude Thatcherism, it qu- quickly uh, transformed itself into something more sophisticated when they discovered in the early 1980s that it didn't work. And it, be- it became a wee bit more nuanced than that. When you look at this prospect, Chris, of, say, July, this happening, should we be worried? Can the United States manage this? In other words, given the volatility in Congress, the extremes that are in the Congress, if you take the Trump crowd on the one hand, and shall we say the Democrats who are generally in favor of this kind of spending for the good it does, where will we be if this happens? We will be in crisis. Um, and we will be watching. Finance. Will it be like two thousand and eight and and nine and ten? That kind of uh, meltdown that we saw with you know the banks and all of that. No two financial crises are the same. That one was caused by essentially the housing market in the U.S. and elsewhere going bust and taking down all of the people, the banks, the building societies, and other institutions that had lent money into the housing market. They, all those debts went yes. bad. There will be similarities, but big differences. This will be a crisis not caused by housing, but it will be a crisis that will cause a crisis in housing. Causation will flow the other way. So I think that one consequence of this is that an awful lot of financial and other asset prices will go down, including housing. And that will set off all sorts of second and third round effects as well that are very, very difficult to predict. If we had another housing crisis, for example, how exposed is the banking system? And that's one way in which it could look like the last financial crisis. But I think that if the US does this, it has the potential, only that, I'm not saying that this will happen, but it has the potential to be worse than the financial crisis that we lived through 12 or 13 years ago. Um, That's how bad it could be. And that's how serious it is. One reason why I think that it won't happen is that there presumably has to be somebody in the Republican Party. Maybe this is a forlorn hope who will sit down with these people and say, if you really do want to hand the election to Joe Biden, to the Democrats right. next year, because we'll, be we'll be in the second half of this year, we'll be 12 plus months away from the election. Yes. The economy is in good shape. It's generating humongous numbers of jobs. The unemployment rate is at a historic low. Everything uh, um, apart from the inflation issue is looking great for Joe Biden from the economy. If, yes. if they wreck the economy, in the second half of 2023, prior to an election year of 2024, that hands the Democrats the next election right. will be the arguments that I think has to be put to these people. And maybe they don't care. But if they care about the electoral prospects of the Republican Party in the presidential election for next year, they will back off. That has to be the argument that ultimately is used. Okay, Chris, that's totally fascinating. I just The thought occurred to me, 10 seconds ago, that some of these guys don't seem to care about anything except their obsession, whatever it happens to be in that day. But we're very grateful to you for joining us this morning as Chris Johns. And Chris has his own podcast, The Other Hand, which is very good. And we're very grateful to him for joining us on the stand. To all of you for listening, that's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.